Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Morning. Thanks for remembering Daylight Savings, for being here. I fully expect that in about 30 minutes we're going to see a couple dozen people walk in here looking confused. I hope that eventually we'll get rid of this Daylight Savings time. It's a... It's a nice gift in the fall, but man, in the spring, it's a drag. And I never remember the spring daylight savings until the night before when I realized I'm about to lose an hour. It's a bummer. Thanks for being here. I know it's not easy to make it out here, and it's not easy when you're making it out in March and it's snowing, and yet God, if anyone, is worthy of that. This morning, we're going to continue in our series on Sabbath. And the the series is called Shabbat Shalom because that's the Hebrew phrase with which all of the Jews for centuries have greeted each other as they enter into Sabbath. It means Sabbath peace. And it's a wish for one another that you wouldn't just have a Sabbath, but that through that Sabbath, you would discover the peace which God wants to give each of us, the peace that seems to elude us, even though we chase it so hard most of the week. This morning, I want to focus on the element of Sabbath that we call reflection. Because that's one of the important things that's supposed to happen on the one day out of every seven when we pause from our work and take a day of rest. I want to read the passage for you, and then I want to just dive right in. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 31. We're going to look at verses 12 to 17. Here's the word of God. Oops. Oops. Okay. The Lord then gave these instructions to Moses. Tell the people of Israel, be careful to keep my Sabbath day. For the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. It is given so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. You must keep the Sabbath day, for it is a holy day for you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Anyone who works on that day will be cut off from the community. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day must be a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy day dedicated to the Lord. Anyone who works on the Sabbath must be put to death. The people of Israel must keep the Sabbath day by observing it from generation to generation. This is a covenant obligation for all time. It is a permanent sign of my covenant with the people of Israel. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he stopped working and was refreshed. In the first message of this series, we saw that Sabbath is God's invitation to receive the gift of rest. That it's not something that we earn. We don't rest on the Sabbath because we've paid God by working so hard on the other six days. But that God invites us to receive from him freely a gift of deep rest so that out of that rest, we might work in a way that is invigorated. And it's so important to the way that God hardwired all of creation that he encoded it into everything and he gives this to us as one day in every seven, a cadence that was baked into the DNA of the entire world. So even the soil of the earth itself requires a rhythmic resting period in which one out of every seven years, the soil must be left to rest in order to replenish itself because you cannot push a thing to simply work and work and work and produce and produce and produce without devastating results because you're denying something which God himself has hardwired into the way he has made everything and everyone. And so the invitation is extended, come and stop working one day out of seven and receive the gift of rest. That's an easy message to receive 
And it's the reason we began with it. But there's another dimension we have to look at. We cannot ignore it. And that is that this day of resting from our work is not just an invitation to a gift, but it's also offered to ancient Israel as a command. Now, don't be alarmed by the capital offense of breaking the Sabbath. Whenever God attached a capital offense to something, it was his way of telling the people of Israel, just as we do with our own laws today, this is very serious. And if you break it, you're breaking a fundamental piece of what it is to be our people. And that's why certain, ca- certain offenses, even in the United States, carry a capital offense. It's our way of saying there's a sacred line, and when you cross it, you have forfeited your right to life because this is so important. Apart from it, we cannot exist as a people distinct from the rest of the people of the world. Sabbath is not just an invitation It's given to us as a command, and I think the reason that's important, and by the way, the force of it doesn't carry over from Israel to us in quite the same way, but there's a continuity between us and Israel, and this is one of those places where I think it's especially relevant. And it's important as a command because I know a lot of people, and for many, many years I was one of those people who said, you know, I'll rest when I'm dead. Do you know that though pastors are offered a Sabbath day, Usually on Mondays, but one out of, like, this is your Sabbath, right? This is Sunday. So for the people of God, it's a Sabbath. But for the pastors, it's a work day. And so often we're granted a separate day to observe our Sabbath rest. And because I was enjoying the work and because there was so much to be done, I did not take a day off for a, until around 2006. So for the first 11 years of our church, I just worked seven days a week, and I loved it. And I didn't feel tired, and I didn't feel burnt out. I didn't feel any of those things. I was in absolute denial of this holy, sacred rhythm which God built in. And then a mentor said, Dave, you don't realize it, but man, do you need a day off. And I'm like, bro, you don't know. My church is so life-giving. I love our people. The work I... And he goes, seriously, hear me. Take a day off. I don't know what it is, but I think maybe for some people, they have a hard time with rest because it was ingrained into them by their parents that rest is laziness. Rest is like being passive and irresponsible. That wasn't my problem. I think maybe I worried that if I started it, I might like it a little too much. So I took a day off and I was amazed at the revelation because I realized I was more depleted than I was willing to admit. It's important that it's a command because so many people today are living daily in denial of the need that they have for rest. They're absolutely convinced that they are an exception to the rule and they can actually pull it off. I love working. In fact, what you get out of rest, I get out of work. Have you ever met someone like that? When I work, I come alive. I'm so much happier when I'm moving than when I'm sitting still. Maybe. But I wonder if... You consider yourself wiser than God because he built it into the rhythm of the universe itself that we should rest one day in seven. In fact, when he was creating everything in the very beginning, we see this observation and God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Throughout creation, if you remember, God is calling everything he makes good. He makes something and he goes, oh, that's very good. Then he makes another thing. He says, oh, that's very good. And throughout the entire six days of creation, you know, he's like a great chef or an artist. Everything he does is like, oh, man, that's so good. But then he gets to the seventh day when he makes nothing. And that's the first time he declares anything in the universe holy, sacred. The nature of the word holy in Hebrew and later in Greek, it means it is something set apart, different. It's qualitatively wholly different from everything else around it. It cannot be compared to other things in its category. And what he means when he calls the seventh day holy is that though it is just another day of the week, For those who belong to the people of God, it is absolutely not meant to be just another day of the week. This day, this holy day, is supposed to be 
qualitatively, substantively different than every other day of the week. Remember that the Hebrew word Shabbat doesn't just mean to rest. It means to stop, to cease from whatever activity that you're doing. And so when God says it's holy because he rested on that Sabbath day, I think that's an unfortunate translation because it gives us the impression that God had made the universe and he was like, whew, I need a breather. But that wasn't really what was behind the rest of God. God did not rest in the same way we rest because he was depleted and needed replenishing. He rested as a way of saying, on this day, I deliberately make a choice to cease from my ordinary work. I could keep working, but on this day, I choose just not to do anything. On this day, I will exist with and enjoy the thing that I've created. Instead of building a life, for six days I will build. On seventh day, I will live. I will enjoy. I will connect with. I think this is what's missing in the Sabbath rhythm for so many of us. We don't take the time to actually live in the lives we've been so busy building. We're losing our connection to our Creator because we hardly ever live in this creation. And so God makes a deliberate choice to stop all work, not because he has to, but because it's important that he chooses to. And he calls you and me to do the same thing. In the middle of this passage that we read this morning, it says, you have six days each week, and this is an important phrase, for your ordinary work. But the seventh day, must be a Sabbath day of complete rest. That phrase, complete rest, translates the word Sabbath just repeated. You know how, like, I I joked a long time ago that when teenage girls repeat a word, it means something different, like, do you like him or do you like like him? Or when they say, did you go shopping or did you go shopping, shopping, right? Well, this is what it's talking about. It's not just resting, it's Sabbath, Sabbath. Right? That's, that's exactly how it shows up in the Hebrew. He's saying it's supposed to be a day of like stopping, stopping, just complete rest. No activity that equals ordinary work. It's a holy day dedicated to the Lord. And, and what he's saying to us is this. For six days a week, you are free to pursue your ordinary work. What is that ordinary work? It is the activity, the purposeful expending of energy and resources to build a life and to build a livelihood. And that work matters. God never pits rest against work as if one is superior to the other. Both are absolutely essential for human flourishing. You take away someone's work, it doesn't matter how much free time they have. It's not just the loss of income, it's the loss of purpose. It's the loss of meaningful activity, of meaning. Work is a gift and rest is a gift. They should never be pitted against each other because God has ordained a rhythm that if properly observed causes human flourishing. There's obviously more to human flourishing than rhythms of work and rest, but that's where it begins. This ordinary work is all the stuff which we're obligated to do because it's necessary because it advances our lives or it fortifies our lives. It's not just what we do professionally. It's even what we do at home, making sure that the grass is cut, making sure that the rooms are cleaned up, finally cleaning out that oven, whatever it is. Every spring, one of my least favorite, but I have to tackle it chores, is the massive deep cleaning of our garage. It is sparkling when I'm done. I mean, you could eat off that floor. And then within a month, it's a mess again. But these are the necessary things which create a life, a world for us. And for six days a week, we pursue all those things with diligence. They matter to us, and they matter also to God. But on the seventh day, it's a day set apart. It's supposed to be completely different than those other six days. Those six days are defined, they're marked by activity that builds an ordinary life. But on the seventh day, all of that activity ceases. We don't just rest a little. We rest, rest from all that activity. We refuse to do it. 
So for me, in my case, that would mean that on the Sabbath day, which is Monday for me, I will not answer your emails. I'm not always good about sticking to that. But on that day, I am a man sitting before God. I'm a husband, a father, a brother, a friend. I'm not a pastor on that day. And also it means, it's not, listen, the the Jewish people obsessed over any possibility that they might be doing work. But it's not about that. It's saying, I will not do the ordinary work which advances and fortifies my life. I will leave one day out of every seven where I don't contribute to my well-being. I just live in it. I exist in it. I trust God for it. I will not add my labor to making sure my life is a little better. On one day a week, I will trust fully that God will hold me together. And on that day, I will set it apart and make it holy. We used to have an elder at our church who almost on a weekly basis would get on the mic and say, the Sabbath today is not, it's a holy day, it's not a holiday. He really loved that phrase. And I would be, like, every time he said it, I'm like rolling my eyes going, here we go, he's going to say it. But it's so true. And it's not his idea, it's God's. He said, this day isn't, it's different from a day off. It's not just a day free of work and obligation. It is something distinct. It is set apart a sacred day because it has a purpose. As I mentioned earlier, the Israelites obsessed because they heard God say, don't do any work. Instead of hearing ordinary work, they heard any work at all. So they they created an elaborate system of laws to make sure they did not even accidentally do work. Here's how granular it became. They forbid people to drag a chair across the floor because if you drag it, it, it was dirt floors back then. The leg of the chair would drag and it would create a furrow in the dirt floor. And that was the same as plowing. So you might accidentally plow on the Sabbath. Now, they were understandably afraid because the, the consequences were pretty stark if they broke the Sabbath. But they had misunderstood the heart of God. They thought that what God wanted was no activity. That the way to honor the Sabbath was to lay on the floor like a bump on a log and just exist there. That any kind of expending of energy was forbidden by God. It wasn't. It wasn't work itself, but the ordinary work that we trust to fortify and advance our lives and our livelihoods. The building of careers and households and yards and the perfect home and all of that, that we devote ourselves to for six days, that on one day we take a break from it and we don't add anything to that picture It's not work itself. It's ordinary work. So as one author put it, if I'm a gardener or if I'm just a homeowner and I think Sunday, the the Sabbath day, is an awesome day for me to finally rake those leaves and stop my neighbors from from judging me, then I'm going to get that work done. And he's saying that's an inappropriate way of doing yard work on the Sabbath because it still advances and fortifies your life. But that if you do it because you delight in the physical labor of it, if you love splitting logs and pulling weeds, if it's therapeutic and life-giving, connects you to the created world, that's a very appropriate way to do work on the Sabbath because that expending of energy isn't to advance and fortify your life. It is to live your life, to exist in harmony with God and with what he's made. To take a break from needing to strengthen your position for just one day. And spend some time living in and enjoying the God and the life which he has provided all around you. I summarize this with my own little phrase. That the Sabbath is not a day off, but it's a day offered. It's not just a day where we do no work, but it's a day that we offer up to God to say on this day, whatever I do it will be centered around a purpose of connecting with you and with connecting with the people around me and the world that you put me in. I will not advance my well-being on this day in the typical way I do the other six days of the week. Some of us have built lives that require seven days' attention. And the challenge and the invitation to us is to rethink the way you've built your life. If you're a student... Study in such a way that Sunday does not have to be your cramming day. That it doesn't have to be the very last day of stress before you enter another hellish week of study and classes. 
but that you have studied hard enough on the other six that on the Lord's day, on the Sabbath, you receive the gift of not being a student for one stinking day of the week. Doesn't that sound more inviting than distributing your stress and anxiety and suffering over seven days equally? That is, the, that is the thing which God is calling us to, to prepare yourself in advance so that on one day you stop contributing to the advancement of your life and your livelihood and receive the gift of rest. Your ordinary work may be life-giving for you, may be something you enjoy. I love my work. But even if you love your work, God says, though all work is ordained, it's even equipped by God, that work takes up space in our hearts. It, the way I describe the effect of work on us six days out of the week is it causes a certain vibration in our soul, a coil tension like a spring coiling up and mounting in, in potential energy. It's that effect. And on one day out of every seven, the invitation is to let that knot become undone, to release the tension on that spring. See, when, when you do anything for eight to ten hours a day, it wants to define you completely. When you meet someone you've never met before, you know, I, I think I've shared with some of you, I'm going to go on the Camino de Santiago during my sabbatical. It's a 160-mile walk uh, across most of this one country, and you meet a lot of people along the way, and what they say on the Camino is as pilgrims run into each other, no one ever asks, what do you do for a living? Because no one cares. It doesn't matter there. They just want to know, why are you here? What brought you? Why are you doing this crazy walk? I have my own reasons. What's your reason? The ordinary work of our lives wants to define us so that we don't even know how to... When someone says to you, who are you? Can you answer without naming your job? Without dropping your job title or where you work, what industry you're in? Can you describe who you are apart from the things you do to produce value in the world? Do you even know who that is? That's the invitation of Sabbath is to separate ourselves from the work that defines so much of us, to say, is there another you, a dimension of you, that is separate from other than what you produce day after day after day to earn your place on the earth? The, the reason I'm mounting to all this is because when we receive the invitation to step away from ordinary work, something happens that is necessary for our souls. Verse 17 ends this way. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day, he stopped working and was refreshed. That word refresh is a very interesting word in Hebrew. It's, it's based on a primitive root word that means to breathe. And many scholars believe that the, the best uh, translation of that word is that on the seventh day, God stopped working and he exhaled. That is such a vivid word picture because it's like you're, you're holding your breath, you're working so hard, and then on the seventh day, he just goes, <sighs> that sound should be the soundtrack of Sabbath. I'm told, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm told that when snipers want to make a good shot, they need stillness. And so just before they take the shot, they exhale. It stills the body it calms the muscles. It produces the stillness needed for that accuracy. Now, that's an unfortunate analogy because I don't want us to be shooting people. But the point is that that exhalation, that breathing, produces a stillness without which certain other things can't take place in our lives. You know, you probably hear a lot these days about solitude and silence and personal retreats and all that, and never, maybe you wondered, why, does, why are so many people talking about it? It's because we're meant in those things to experience a stillness that is required for us to break through to another place with ourselves and with God. And maybe a visual will help you understand this. In 2012, around uh, 11 years ago, I went with Randy Moy and his family. Thank God I did, because if I went by myself, I'd still be there, or at least my body would still be there. 
Randy and his family know the outdoors. We went to the Boundary Waters. I'm talking about wilderness, man. This is the American wilderness. I, I did not know where on the earth I was or how I was going to get back to civilization. 100% dependent on that man to stay alive. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. If something happened to him, it would have happened to me. <laughs> I could say that for sure. So I bring Elijah out to the Boundary Waters. We're in the middle of nowhere. And I, I took this picture on this lake. This is off the, uh, the shore of the island, a little island we had all to ourselves. And we camped there. And on that day, there was a nice little breeze going. And it had, you know, waves on the water is always caused by wind. Right? It's, it's caused by the, the wind rippling the surface of the water. And so it was very pretty and peaceful. And I thought, that's what peacefulness looks like. But then the next day, the breeze stopped, and that same body of water looked like this. This is the very next day. And I made Elijah jump onto the rock so it would look like he's just in the middle of the water. But Elijah, do you remember that day? The surface of the water, because there was no breeze, nothing was disturbing it. It was so still that the water looked like a mirror, undisturbed. And, and what I saw in that picture was, in this picture, you can't see anything but the water. You see ripples. You don't see really much of a reflection. Maybe the blue of the sky is reflected. That's about it. In this picture, you can see across the water that even the shoreline on the other side is mirror-imaged on the surface. And when you look down on it, you could see if you had spinach on your teeth. It was that still. I've never seen a body of water that large quite that still before in my life. And what I learned from that visual image was that only in stillness are you offered a really clear reflection of yourself, of your God, and of the reality you live in every day. The vibrating tension of the soul created by work and responsibility and obligation six days of the week choke out the stillness we need to actually be human beings alive in this world. We're pushed along by a riptide, a current that propels us towards success and goals and outcomes. And all of that is important, but it is out of control in our culture. And many of us have voluntarily signed up for even an augmented version of that reality. We believe that by getting on that train, it moves us forward. It gets us ahead of everyone else. And the sacrifice we're making, the cost to all of that, is that while we have more than other people in one dimension, we are so impoverished in another. So many of the people in this country who have the most money have the least amount of time and freedom in their spirit to enjoy any of it, to discover the real value of that resource. So many people are running so hard to get ahead that they've forgotten why getting ahead even mattered to begin with. It is in the stillness that we begin to see a true reflection of the God that we thought we knew, of the person we think we see in the mirror, of the world around us and the people we think we're close to. You know, I once made um, our couples at this one gathering do this exercise where I said, turn to your spouse and just make unbroken, silent eye contact for five minutes. It almost ended some marriages. I mean, it was like so uncomfortable. (laughs) And you realize, gosh, we never look at each other. I act like I know you, I see you every day, but this simple act of five minutes of beholding, of gazing, it's so rare, isn't it? Psalm 46 records an ancient hymn of Israel. And in that hymn, it paints this beautiful picture of God in the midst of chaos. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Later in that hymn, it says, the nations rage, kingdoms fall over, and yet God remains in heaven, a refuge for us. How do we come to see God this way? As the one place of safety and refuge in a world that feels like a storm. I love this image. 
He's one of my favorite photographers, Jean Guichard. He's a French photographer who travels the world photographing lighthouses and storms. And it's a really cool image to see this structure standing fast while the waves crash around it. How do we come to this place where even though the world around us is raging, we can actually experience peace in the embrace of God? The end of the hymn says it best. You be still. There's no other way. You cannot come to know this God of comfort in the midst of chaos without stillness being a dimension of your life. It's not possible. You be still and you will know. Part of being still is not just physically still. It's for one day refusing to rehearse the familiar song of blame that we assign to every other thing, every other person for our distress. Maybe all of it's true, but for one day we, do, we just agree, I'm going to be still. I'm going to stop raging. I'm going to stop moving. I'm going to stop fighting. And for one day, I'm going to sit here in the presence of God and let him show me what he wants to show me and tell me what he needs to tell me. For just one day, I will be still I will be silent. I will stop worrying. I will stop fighting. I will stop being angry. And for one day, I will sit with my God and let him be God. And in that stillness, a clear picture emerges of God as he really is, and of yourself as you really are. In the early years of our church, for about four years, I worked in corporate IT. And I put in about 50-hour weeks, and then after work, I came and did some part-time work at the church. So that's how we built the church in the early years. And I have a confession to make. Those are really important years for me to craft the way that I think about your lives, because I realize now that I've been a pastor for so long, I kind of forgot what it was like to live in that world. And I realized outside of Sundays, when you and I part From Monday through Friday, we live really different lives. I met recently with Elder Ed Sung, and he was describing a day in his life, and I'm like, bro, outside of church, we're like aliens. Your reality every day is like a world I completely do not understand. He's an eye surgeon. He wakes up at an hour I could never imagine. He does stuff I can't imagine, and that's his daily life for six days. A lot of people ask me, what I do on the other six days since I only work one day a week. <laughs> That's a pastor's favorite question, by the way. Keep it up. We love that question. <clears throat> I have to confess that in the maelstrom of building a career and fighting for my job, of guarding my flank against all the wolves that wanted to take my place, I was stressed every day from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. Man. It was like fighting for my existence. And I have to confess, though I was a pastor at the same time, for the hours that I was in my IT job, many weeks would go by where I cannot recall thinking consciously about the things of God while I was at work. It's an honest confession. That life crowded out just about everything. The only way I really remembered God most of those days was that morally I tried to put up a fence so that I don't stumble anyone. That was about it. I would try to remember to pray before I ate. But aside from that, I can't really say that I was every day on mission for God. Life on those six days seemed to choke out the kingdom again and again and again. Can you resonate with that? Can you relate to that? Is your work like that? It felt like for five days at least of every week, I belonged to Loyola University Health System. They owned me. And I fought every day for a little scrap for myself, for my family, for my church. But the truth is I was owned by what I did for a living. And so God says, tell the people of Israel, be careful to keep my Sabbath day. For the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you. That's another way of saying the covenant is a remembrance of my promises to you and your promises to me. From generation to generation, it is given so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. 
The Sabbath is given to us as a day, a gift, to cease from the other activity that wants to define who we are, crowd out every other dimension of our lives, and for one day, we proclaim, we declare, I will remember who I am apart from my regular work. I will find value and worth and meaning and blessing in things other than what I produce and contribute. It's not easy to do. Because if you think about it, 24 hours away from obligation and work is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to catch up if you're behind. And it's an opportunity to get ahead if you're competing with others. The Sabbath day is a sacrifice. It's saying that for one week, for one day, I will dedicate this whole day to just being a human being with God. To finding some stillness in the midst of the chaos of my life. I won't use it to advance anything else except my soul's well-being and my awareness of who God is and who I really am. That's the devotion of this whole day. It's not a slavish call to restrictions and prohibitions and don't ever dare shop and don't buy things and don't drag chairs across the floor. It's not a slavish call to spend the whole day at church pursuing religious activities. It is a day to break from everything else that shapes your life and say, today, God, you have me for the whole day. This is a day for you. If you want to use me to serve, I will serve. If you want to force me into a six-hour nap because I need it, I will receive it with gratitude. Whatever this day is between you and me, it's our day. It's your day. It is not just another day off. It is a day offered. It's also a day of trust because I have to be okay with the idea that if I don't contribute to my advancement in life, that God still will take care of my life and my livelihood. No one should be living in a life that requires seven days full-time activity and investment to secure. God has designed the world so that we can live on six days. Now, there are going to be rare exceptions because of tremendous hardship, times of war, things like that. But I can tell you that for most of us sitting here today, we can have a reasonable life on six days investment. It's probably rare to find someone in the Western developed world who needs all seven days just to survive. And so we trust God to keep us well, even if we contribute nothing for a whole day. That my house will still be there on Monday, and I can start cleaning it up again then. Sabbath is a day of worship. It's a day to say that God, the other six days, I struggle to be mindful of you. But if you're real in my life, if you're important, if you really matter, if you truly are my Savior and my King, then I proclaim on this one day that this whole day is devoted to us. It's a way of proclaiming to ourselves, to our families, to the world around us, that God is worthy of at least one day of complete, dedicated focus. Sabbath is a day of recentering. It's a day to say, I'm going to explore who I am apart from the other stuff I do all week. I'm going to find out who I am if I run into a pilgrim on the Camino and they say, who are you? I'm going to find ways to answer that question without trotting out my resume. We're talking about how many important meetings and how many million-dollar accounts I oversee, how many lives I save. That's all important. That's part of your life. But who on earth are you apart from all those things? It's a day of saying, I'm going to find my new center in the person God has called me to be, in discovering what I'm actually like when external pressures don't force me to behave a certain way or to engage in certain activities. And finally... It's a day of refreshing, of the soul exhaling. Let this sound remind you what this day is supposed to feel like. <sighs> if you're that person who after church runs around barking at your family, now everybody do this, now don't forget to do this, do that, do this. Have you done this? Don't do that to each other. 
Sabbath requires a communal effort. It's got to be a conspiracy together to say, I will help you guard your Sabbath. I won't poison it by turning your Sabbath into a boot camp, into a makeup day. We have to help each other. Do you know that the modern weekend, when, what year would you guess the modern two-day weekend was invented? I was astounded when I researched this. I thought it always existed. I thought ever since the dawn of time, people took Saturday and Sunday off. I didn't, in the United States, the modern two-day weekend didn't begin until 1932. Henry Ford was the first major company owner to declare Saturday as a day off. I think it's hard for us to think about the Sabbath because it used to be in the, the world up until 1932, there really was only one day where everyone agreed you don't have to come to work. The other six days you have to. Now that we have a second day, it's hard to distinguish Saturday from Sunday. They both kind of feel like the same thing. Different activities, the same essence. It's just another day off. Here's a startling thing. For most of the world, that's all the weekend is. It's days off from obligation. It's a day not to work, a day to play, a day to rest, a day to catch up, a day to sleep. And it's just about saying, as a mammal, I have to replenish this machine. If that's all it is, apparently two days is not enough because there's a massive global conversation around making it three days and reducing the workday to four. It's as if the world is saying, if it's just about resting from work, two is not enough. It's limitless. We want to get it down to where technology and artificial intelligence allows us to work for one day a week. We'll flip the whole holy cadence, work for one day and rest and play for six. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's because the world doesn't understand the deep replenishing that Sabbath brings. It's more than just a day off of work. It's more than just a day of play. It's more than a day of leisure. It is meant to be qualitatively different from Saturday. We living in the modern era have to learn how to distinguish Saturday and Sunday because they're not the same thing. Twin brothers to be invested in the same manner. You might do similar activities. You might go mountain biking on both Saturday and Sunday. But on Sunday, it's not just to get exercise. It's not just to enjoy the activity. It is through it to be reminded how good God is. That you should have legs to pedal a bike. That he should make this beautiful world in which there are empty places still to ride a bike. That you still have health and the ability to move. It is a day to pause and remember not just the pleasures of this life, but the God who gives all good things. It's a day to say that my faith, just like my friendships, my relationship with children and friends and spouse, will never flourish without attention and investment. It's a day where I say to God, you matter enough to me that on this day at least, I will do things that draw me towards you. I'm not going to just play and just rest. This relationship with you matters to me enough that on this day, I will pursue you. It's one reason why we begin the Sabbath in this manner. We worship together to remind each other that we together are the people of God. What does Sabbath mean to you? And, you know, the point is not to get into an intellectual debate about the pros and cons of different strategies. It's to ask you, Are you somehow impoverished in some way because you haven't received this on a regular basis? Do you need this more than you're willing to admit? Could this Sabbath rhythm be the key to unlocking some of that sense of being truly alive and well that you've been pursuing for so long and not being able to find? My prayer for us is that Sundays would become a very different day than every other day of the week. A day set apart in which you, at the core, reconnect to the God who made you and saved you. And that part of that will just be the delight of living in the life that he's granted you. The next time I preach on this series, I'll talk about the dimension of Sabbath, which I love in particular, as in Enneagram 7. This idea of delighting and feasting in God and his gifts 
on the Sabbath. That's the part that, that bothers the Pharisees, you know, in this world. Oh, that shouldn't be a dimension. It should absolutely be an aspect of Sabbath. is to feast and to delight on the goodness of God. And I hope you'll enjoy that one. It's, it's my favorite one to think about. But this one matters such a great deal, too. Get stillness in your life so you can reflect, see a true image of God and yourself in your reality. You'll be amazed at the difference it makes. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of preaching before a group of people, but I cannot have any clue what's going on in you by looking at your faces. So I'm just going to ask you if you would join me in just sitting still with God. And if there's something that you've heard this morning that is bothering you, you can bring it to me. It's okay. I'm willing to listen, but bring it also to God. Maybe your agitation is not with the person who spoke, but with the ideas that God is giving you as a challenge and invitation. Maybe you need this more than you realize, and God just wants you to yield to him and accept this. Can you just sit with me for just a few minutes in quiet with God and then respond to what this message is in your own way, in your own voice? To see a true reflection, we need to be still. But stillness is hard because sometimes the noise is from inside. It's not from the world around us. If that's what you're feeling, can we just take a moment to ask God to bring stillness into our lives? If the loudest disruption is from within your own spirit, can you ask God to take that from you? to calm that storm just for a moment so that in the stillness you can see, you can hear, you can just be. The danger of not finding this stillness is that we don't see a clear reflection. We live throughout the week with the distorted picture of ourselves. We think either too highly or too little of ourselves. We have lies we believe, distorted images. We think wrongly about what God is like. And it affects the way that we live. And we certainly then don't see the people and the world around us accurately. Without stillness, The picture we have is unreliable. So the stakes are high. It matters that one day in seven, we accept God's invitation to exhale, to be still, to see. Can we take a minute to ask God to help us with that even today? pray together God we just want to admit that the storms in our life are real no one's saying they are not they are so real and yet you are the God who in scripture has shown that you calm the storm that a raging sea can become like a mirror of glass at your command We come to you saying that our spirits need that stillness now. And we don't know how to produce it for ourselves. And so we ask you, living God, enter into each of our lives today and give us even today on this Sabbath day a moment, an hour, a season of stillness so that we can see and hear 
and be. We feel so bunched up inside, so coiled tight. There's threat and stress around every corner. On this day, give us the gift of forgetfulness and trust. Of saying that Monday will come and you will carry that load for us. But on this day, we will sit with you and rest in you. We will be still, no longer fighting, but being carried and cared for, deeply loved. God, would you grant each person at harvest this morning, here and at home, Sabbath peace. In your son's name. Even as you do your part to be still, to step away from your work, may God do the hard part and bring real stillness into your life. Calm the storms around you. Calm the storm inside you, even just for one day and seven to give you the gift of Sabbath peace. In that peace, may you see yourself as you truly are. May you see a real picture of the God who loves you, has revealed himself to you. May this peace, this rest, change everything about you. God give you the grace to work well on those other six days so that on this day, you can afford to do nothing but be yourself and be with God and your loved ones. In the name of the Father and the Son, and Holy Spirit, be at peace now and forever. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.